Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast and live stream. It's Matt Larkin here with Ryan Kennedy, Ken Campbell. We're brought to you by our sponsor, Christian Hockey. And guys, it's a slow news day. There's <laughs> nothing... There's nothing to talk about. Yeah. What are we going to do? Yeah. Well, there's nothing. See you next week. Everybody. Any ideas? <laughs> Any ideas? <laughs> Maybe there's one little nugget. It could be, I don't know, the firing of Don Cherry? Could be. I think that's a story. Could be. Uh, obviously, it's been a massive story to anyone watching or listening. Uh, and there are many takes out there. We all have our own takes that we've written that are going up on the website or already have gone on the website. But it's another thing to sort of discuss it live. So uh, I, I want to start simple and just give me your thoughts on the decision itself. Are you happy with the decision by Sportsnet to fire Don Cherry? Should it have happened s- sooner? So let's start with that. No, I'm not happy. I mean, I, I, it's hard to say. You know, I, I, I would never be happy about someone losing his job, his or her job. Never. I, I, that, that I don't. Uh, that doesn't bring me any happiness. I'm not doing any happy dances here. Um, I think anybody who knows me or has read me knows that I've been a very vocal critic of Don Cherry over the years. Uh, do I think this this was warranted? I absolutely do. Do I think it was long overdue? I absolutely do. Um, you know, I mean, it, this was not a one-off. This was not, uh, 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 you know, a, a one-time transgression. This was a pattern of behavior that's been going on for a long, long time. And uh, a lot of people have not had the the stones, if you will, to to, to call him on it and to to, uh, to to take him off the air. And and finally, he he went over the edge. I mean, you know, people can talk all they want about free speech, but free speech, as we know, and as we've been hearing and reading over the last couple of days, you know, free speech is not without consequences. He had consequences to his free speech. From what we understand, he was given the opportunity to dial it back and to maybe apologize and to, to tone things down, and he he refused to do that, and, and he was fired. So that, I, I think it's a, I think it's a just result. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think it was surprising that he actually got fired because he was bulletproof for so long. Right. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, like this is not the first time he's said something objectionable. It's not the first time he's targeted a specific group of yeah, people. It, it might not even be the worst thing he's ever said. Maybe yeah, he's not. Said, yeah, he yeah. said a lot of stuff. It almost feels like thing, it was yeah. a lifetime achievement firing, <laughs> yeah. if you will. Yeah. And it's just it's interesting how it all went down. The fact that you have. You know, a company in Roger Sportsnet that, you know, they were not the company that hired him originally. He was a legacy uh, employee, if you will. You have a major sponsor in Budweiser, a beer company that clearly didn't want to be anywhere near this. Yeah, and I, and I don't and think signed be, off. I don't think that should be discounted. I, right. I really don't. I really think that might that yeah. was a huge factor in this. When you lose the beer companies, you know you've messed up. Right. Yeah. 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 So you have all these factors, and that's what finally 
pushed it over the edge. And that's what I think is the really interesting thing here is that you had so many complaints to the CRTC, the sort of Canadian Standards Board, about the comments. You have corporations that can no longer justify the ratings and the money he brought in to associate with him. And I believe you even had the Canadian Legion distancing themselves from Don Cherry. So when you lose the veterans, the beer companies, (laughs) and the hockey programmers, obviously you're you're out of friends. It's It's a little bit like the player that you're willing to overlook all of the sideshow stuff as long as he produces. You know what mm. I mean? Like, as long as a player is really good, they're willing to overlook things that he might do or say or the disruptions he might cause in a dressing room or whatever because he still produces. But the moment that guy stops producing, the moment that guy stops producing, he becomes expendable. Right. It's like if Brad Marchand's 40 years old or something like right, that. Exactly. Right, exactly. Right. And it's interesting because, you know, I'm glad that, that Sportsnet Rogers have taken some responsibility. And it's a way of taking responsibility, the fact that they acted relatively quickly in this case um, because, you know, there's no denying it's not like it's not like uh, on one hand it's not like Don Cherry you know suddenly as he got into his 80s became you know whatever you want to call it senile and and his politics changed they were always very right wing and you could say pretty exclusive at times but at the same time one thing that to me always at times could come across like a bit of an embarrassment for Hockey Night Canada was you know find I'm going to sound a bit ageist here but find me an 85 year old who doesn't have some politics that are antiquated the only difference is Rogers and Hockey Night Canada continue to put one on the air, and that's something you see almost no other place. So I think there was some responsibility, just the fact that he was still on the air for this long when he probably shouldn't have been, uh, that falls into, into Sportsnet's camp. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it still falls on Don Cherry as well. And, you know, this is someone who who is supposed to be the symbol of Canada and the symbol of hockey, but I, I think he's a symbol of Canada to certain people. Uh, and, you know, if you look at the, the, the rant, the you people rant and the, you know, milk and honey and everything he said, that kind of showed us that Don Cherry is not representing everyone's Canada. He's representing a Canada for people who look like him and are in his demographic. And, you know, this is yeah. the same network that broadcasts Hockey Night in Canada in Punjabi. And you have someone who is, you know, using a rhetoric that is kind of alienating to, I think, immigrants. Uh, I, you can't reconcile those two things. So I think it was the right decision mm-hmm. to finally let him go. Um, what I'm really curious about, and you know, you, you guys can check out the website. I'm going to be writing about this later today. Uh, is Don Cherry's legacy? Uh, we know that he's going out on a low note in his hockey night in Canada career, um, but for so much of his career, he was a very celebrated person and considered an institution of the game, coach of the year, Boston Bruins. So many, you know, so many years of Don Cherry just being synonymous with hockey. Um, but like I just said, you know, he was synonymous with hockey to a certain group, and now hockey has changed. It's mm-hmm. a game that is, is you know. For everyone as the NHL brands it. So what I'm curious about now is how will Don Cherry's legacy age? Because the, the demographic of hockey fans, hockey people is different. And a lot of the people that are coming into hockey now don't necessarily view Don Cherry as this great builder of the game. So do you see Don Cherry as still a Hall of Famer as a builder? Or are we going to look back and will his legacy continue to sort of age poorly as time passes? Well, it's interesting because, you know, I mean, you mentioned the Hall of Fame. So does if he goes in, does he go in as a builder? Or does he go in as a winner? Well, you don't go in, but you're recognized with the uh, Foster Hewitt Award, right? Uh Uh, For for broadcaster. So there's there's one of those two avenues, I suppose. Um, 
it's tough because as I said, I've I've been a very, very vocal critic of the man for many, many years. Um show me where he built the game. That's all I want to know is where yeah. where did he build the game? He built his brand. Mm-hmm. He built a fortune. <laughs> he but is hockey any more popular in Canada because of Don Cherry? Hockey Night in Canada might be. Um, but I have no evidence to, to back this up, and I don't think it's possible to get the evidence, but I'm not convinced that Don Cherry didn't hurt the cause of hockey in Canada with in certain some of the ways. things that he thought mm-hmm. and some of, the, some of his attitudes about concussions and violence and fighting and all those... And I, non-Canadian players, European players. Right, exactly. And, and, and exactly. I guess now immigrants. And, but, and yeah. so, so I... I I'm not convinced he built much of anything other than a big fortune and a brand for himself. And and good on him for doing that. But uh, I'm probably not the right person to ask about whether or not he should be in the Hall of Fame. So I'm going to bail. Thanks. I think that (laughs) you, you put him in the Foster Hewitt wing as a broadcaster. Because the longevity, the popularity of Coach's Corner is unmistakable. And if you look at the Hall of Fame, like Harold Ballard's in the Hall of Fame. Right. It's not a collection of nice people. It's not. It's just a collection of famous people (laughs) that, I mean, in Ballard's case, I'm not even really sure why he's in there other than the fact that he owned the Leafs for a long time. That pretty much covers it. That pretty much covers it, yeah. (laughs) Maybe not the best example of somebody who deserves to be in there. The Bellworks is in. There's a lot of of people there that frankly these days you would not want to be in the same room with, on top of some of the greatest hockey players of all time. So I think he definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame as a broad broadcaster. I think that's his in. Now, getting to the legacy, I think there's actually two paths here. And it really depends on what Don Cherry does next. If Don Cherry tries to stay within the media realm, if he gets a column with, say, the Toronto Sun or the National Post, you know, a, a, a newspaper that would be friendly to his, uh, his views on non-hockey-related matters, hmm. then I think his legacy probably goes down in flames in the next decade or so. Because I, I'm looking sort of 20, 30 years down the line when most Canadians will not have grown up when he was in his heyday anymore. Right. Right. People that right. are looking right. back at right. Don Cherry. Right. So that's one, that's one route that he can take that will keep him you know, in the public eye, that will make him more money. The other route is that Don Cherry has consistently been somebody who is involved with minor hockey in the greater Toronto area. He loves going to rinks. He's always at the OHL Cup, which is the big tournament for 15-year-olds at the end of the season. All the best teams in Ontario, and they always have a couple of American teams. Um, He's always there at the end. We know he's been involved with the CHL Top Prospects game. There's always Team Cherry and Team Orr. Not sure what's going to happen to that. Yeah, and and also, I mean, I I think you have to, like, it's interesting, this dichotomy we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Sorry to interrupt, but just this dichotomy that we're talking about, he established is the Mississauga Ice Dogs. He's the driving force behind establishing the Mississauga Ice Dogs. Mm-hmm. Basically makes it all about himself, hires his friends and family to run the thing, and runs the thing into the ground, and it moves to Niagara. So you've yeah. got both sides of that. But go yeah. ahead, Ryan. Sorry. Uh, no problem. So 
what I see in this second route is that Don Cherry continues to go to minor hockey games. He's still involved with the OHL Cup. Maybe he's still involved with the CHL Top Prospects game. Not sure where they would lean politically uh, in terms of that representation. But if he keeps a lower profile and continues with his love of minor hockey, then I think maybe his legacy gets saved because eventually he's going to be that guy that cared a lot about grassroots hockey, used to have, you know, used to be a big star, but his views, they got kind of antiquated and he was fired. It was ugly, but then he went on and, you know, the kids loved to be around him. They all took selfies and whatnot. He was always at the MVP. I think then his legacy might get saved, but he needs to keep a low profile for the time being. Mm -hmm. And, and you, and if you're him, and if you're a Cherry fan, you hope that people take the good and the bad when weighing his legacy. It, yeah, it, it's to me, it's so complicated. I struggle with it. Um, and, you know, I know there are a lot of people, the people that defend on Cherry, they're sort of against cancel culture. And they say that, you know, how can you go back and look at what people people did years ago and hold it against them? That does not apply to Don Cherry because his <laughs> old views were, conti- they were still broadcast <laughs> on the air. That's the problem with letting him stay on the air for this long. So he doesn't fall under that category. He was still given a modern platform to push views that were decades and decades old. And to me, you know, I, and again, I'm going to write about this later, but I kind of, I call it the cigarette theory. Don Cherry to me is like cigarettes in that for so long they were loved and they were ingrained in culture and then we learned about cigarettes, what they really did to us and we can never unlearn that. And I think a lot of Don Cherry's, his views and the things he promoted, let's say from a hockey standpoint you know, uh, the the sort of type of hockey and, and that, you know, that led to concussions, things like that, that just that's not what the game is anymore and I think you could apply that to a lot of his politics mm-hmm. too. It's just hard now to look back and unlearn what what's changed and i think the game has changed the world has changed and and he hasn't and i think as time passes the world is going to change even more and i, and I don't think he will so uh, to me I, I don't think the next 30 years or 40 years 50 years are going to be kind to him i think they're going to hurt his legacy I, I think though that he's just got such a dedicated following that i'm not sure that that's going to be enough to tarnish his legacy and in, in the eyes of a lot of people i mean mm-hmm. he's there are people who are dyed-in-the-wool supporters of him who are very, very upset right now. Right, uh, but, and, but, and, and but. we're hearing from a lot of them. And and I think I think going forward, this is going to be really interesting how Sportsnet and Rogers handles this going forward because there's going to be a very large, large segment of the hockey-viewing public that they're not happy right now. They're yes. not happy. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they can bridge that gap between what they did now and reaching out to those people. Right, and and the boycotting <laughs> Rogers. But to me, why I say I, I think his legacy is in trouble in the long term is mm. all the people that are enraged and defending Don Cherry, how many of those people are going to be alive in 30 years? How many of those people right. are, are older than right. 50 years old? Right. And I think, you know, when that generation, like, to get literal, dies out, uh, I don't think that the younger generation coming into hockey and discovering the game, that's not the generation that grew up on Don Cherry and, and his views. Uh, so... I worry long term. Hmm. I think that he's going to be viewed a lot differently as time passes, but we'll see. Um, there is obviously still hockey going on, uh, and we'll we'll go with a major injury that happened over the weekend, um, uh, and that is Mitch Martin of the Toronto Maple Leafs' major ankle injury. Uh, he's going to be out at least four weeks. Is the diagnosis now? Uh, and the Leafs are nine six and four. In the standings, they they're in a stretch of playing nine of ten games on the road. They've played nineteen games already. Are they in trouble? Are they in danger of missing 
the playoffs? Is that a realistic thing to discuss right now? Nah, man. I'm overthinking nah. it. <laughs> I think they're just. I think they're going to be just fine, especially because their division has not been as killer as we thought it would. You know, Tampa Bay is struggling. A lot of the other teams are kind of middling, and you know they're finding their way, but they're they're not pushing the way we thought maybe they would be. I almost wonder, like being on the road might be a great thing, although they are playing some pretty tough competition in this road swing. It's not going to be mm-hmm. easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the Islanders are up first. You know, Colorado's yeah. in there. Pittsburgh's and always they got tough. Boston in here Friday night in, in Toronto on Friday night. Yeah, so it's not going to be an easy road trip, but it is at least a little bit spread out. I don't think there's any back-to-backs, or if there is, there's maybe one. So they're going to be able to play Frederick Anderson a lot, mm-hmm. and you know they they have talent up front. That's not the problem. I think that with Marner out. You got four weeks. I think this next four weeks is probably going to be pivotal anyways. If they can't get things going, and eventually they'll get Zach Hyman back as well. If it's a big structural problem with how they're playing, then they probably fire Babcock. And it has nothing to do with Marner being out uh, because we saw how he, you know, they played with Marner in the lineup. And yes, they've had injuries, but every team does. Mm-hmm. They should be winning most of their games given the talent they have on paper. I don't. I don't think the problems are based on how good or bad Mitch Marner has been so mm-hmm. far. I think this is the worst injury that the Toronto Maple Leafs could possibly envision having in their lineup. Interesting. Maybe Whoa. with the, maybe with a possible possible exception of Morgan Ryan or, or Freddie Anderson. I'd say too. Yeah. 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 Uh, but but there is not a there's not a there's not a, a faction of the game where this guy does not have a significant impact. He kills penalties. He plays the power play. He drives play five on five. You know, I, I think I think this is a, a way more devastating injury to the Toronto Maple Leafs than, say, the John Tavares injury was. Uh, and, uh. Or, and, or, you know, the Zach Hyman injury even. But, but I mean, he's a, he's a major contributor to all three of those areas of the game. And, he yes, he was off to a slow start, but he was coming around. Mm. He was coming around. He was playing a lot better. Uh, you know, if this is one of those high ankle sprains, they're saying four weeks. Uh, my history, not my personal history, but what I've seen with players with high ankle sprains is you don't really know how long they're going to yeah, be out. I think like that's an optimistic times, yeah, timeline. It can, it can really mm. linger for a while. So um, are they a non-play? Well, shame on them if, they, if they're if they a non-playoff team without Mitch Marner. Right. Sorry. Uh, shame on them because they should be good enough to make the playoffs. I yeah. think Tampa Bay is starting to play better. They won their two games in Sweden. They're behind in games. Once they make up those games, they'll, they'll be good. Boston's been lousy the last couple of games, but until now they've been very good. I mean, it's all about Toronto avoiding Boston in the first round anyways. So... So maybe, you know, maybe that maybe this works in their favor. But uh, I still think they're a playoff team. I still think they have way too much talent mm-hmm. to to drop off that significantly. And like I said, shame on them if they if they're hanging their hats on this for not making the playoffs. Then then you know, shame on them. Yeah, it's funny. I, I do think the injury is pretty catastrophic, but I actually think it might be a blessing in disguise for a team that they could use. I mean, they've been getting their annual wake up call in April. And they could use an early wake-up call, I think, to force their hand. And I think, to me, it's not a coincidence that you see Michael Hutchinson waved uh, right after. 
right, or, or demoted right after. Because it's not like Mitch Marner's injury have, has anything to do with Michael Hutchinson, but to me it sort of represents an idea of, oh my God, we better make sure the other aspects of our lineup are as perfect as possible. We just lost Mitch Marner. And for instance, our backup goaltending has been terrible. We better finally make a decision there. And I think you could see things like William Nealer is going to get a much bigger chance to prove himself, I think. And he's already playing with Matthews, but it just if you look at the depth chart, they're going to need him even more. And maybe he's going to be playing more first unit power play, right? And a guy like Jeremy Bracco, do you, does he get sent up? Because he's a guy who, his skill set, it only works in a top six. It only works yeah. in the power play. That's what Sheldon Keefe told me last year. He's meant to be only a top six forward. He's not a guy who can come on and be a role player like Trevor Moore can. So that might be a ripple effect. You might see guys that weren't going to get opportunities get opportunities, get bigger looks, and then the Leafs have a better idea of what they have. So I think there's a lot of potentially positive ripple effects, even though the industry or, or the injury, it's probably going to hurt their record, but it might pay them back come April. That's my theory. Yeah, I mean, not if it's a meritocracy, I don't see Jeremy Bracco coming up because he hasn't been great. I mean, uh, and I think the thing with Michael Hutchinson, I, I'm, I'm not really on board with your thinking on that, Matt. Uh, I think it's because of the way he played and the, the results they've had with him. It is interesting to note, though, that his high danger shots have been way higher than Freddie Anderson's per game. Like, like I think it's like double. I think wow. he faces like twelve high danger shots a game, and Freddie Anderson. And it's the opposite. You're not. You're supposed to play better in front yeah, of your yeah. backup. <laughs> but, but I think maybe part of that is, oh crap, we just gave up two goals on three shots, so we got to open it up, and now and then yeah. it opens the floodgates. I'm not sure if that's the case, but. Uh, you know, Mike Babcock's right. Um, they haven't played well in front of Fred, uh, in front of um, in front of Michael Hutchinson, and and he hasn't played well behind them either. Mm-hmm. So yeah, fair enough. Uh, out in the West, the Arizona Coyotes have extended their GM John Chaka to uh, a long-term deal. We don't know the exact terms, uh, but I'm a guy that when I see these deals happen, you know, it's November, so early in the season, it always confuses me. And I know, yes, it's a franchise that's looking long-term, but if you look at the body of work so far for John Chaka, the team is 10-6 and two this year. Uh, since he took over as GM in 2016, the record is 108, 126, and 32, a 470 points percentage. Um, yes, the points percentage has improved every season since he's taken over. But again, looking at the big picture, do you need to hand out this extension now? Do you not want to wait till the end of the year to see if you can finally get this team in the playoffs? If the Coyotes miss the playoffs after so many years of it supposedly being their year and so many first-round picks, is John Chaka still your guy by the end of this season if Arizona's not in the playoffs? I find it strange that you're seeing a team commit this early. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just part of a long-term vision. They believe in him, and they're looking at their analytics, and they feel good. Who knows what it is, right? But I'm curious what you guys think. Personally, I think it's too early, and and it's not the first time we've seen the team extend a guy like this uh, when the body of work isn't necessarily successful yet, but that's just me. Mm. I'm surprised that they didn't wait until the end of the season simply because you you get new ownership with Meruelos, and... You know, I, I would think that he would want to have a pretty good sample size to work with, but clearly he likes what he sees in Sheka. And what I think is going to be interesting is now there's money in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. Now Sheka can go out, he can expand his scouting staff, You know, he can expand player development, whatever he needs to do. I know he's already done that um, since the ownership change, but now he can continue to do it. He can start getting more weapons and assets to play with in the front office, and then maybe it puts Arizona on a bit more of a level, level playing field with the rest of the league. I mean, Sheka, he's a smart guy, he's got a, a specific vision. If he can execute it, then maybe the Coyotes will be Okay, and you know they're off to a good start. I think it's a nice leap of faith from ownership. 
I would have been a little more conservative, but I think for Cheka, uh, it's clear that he has the keys and he's going to get the the weapons he needs. Now it's a matter of does he have the plan that will work? Yeah, see, I, I, I'm perfectly fine with this. Mm-hmm. I'm perfectly fine with this extension on a couple of fronts. Number one, for years and years and years, the Arizona Coyotes have been the farm team for the rest of the NHL in terms of players. They've had to watch player after player after player after player leave there because they couldn't afford to pay them. They couldn't keep them. They, they, it just wasn't working. They don't want to lose. They don't want to lose a bright young executive doing the same thing. True. They just, they just, they yeah. don't. And if you found your guy and you like him, I have no problem with them extending him. And on the other front that I have no problem with this extension is, let's say it comes down to you know. We're we're, in, we're at the trade deadline and, and, and Arizona's, you know, life and death to make the playoffs. The last thing I want John Chaka doing is making a bunch of moves that affect the future just to save my job. Mm-hmm. Just to save yeah. his job, you know? Yeah, that's like, a good theory. I, I want, you know, I want the we guy... We call that the Chirelli. Yeah, see, I want to I have a guy who's got the security to say, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, rob Peter to pay Paul here. I'm not going to sell off, you know, future assets just to maybe slide us into that second uh, you know wild card spot so we can lose in the first round i want a guy who's saying no we're building something here and i'm here for the long term you're here for the long term we're building this like i have no problem with it and you know what if it doesn't work out it's not like you know they're 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 gonna have to part with clayton keller here right yeah like it's not a seven million dollar contract it's right. whatever it is arizona i would guess I, I don't know what how much it is, but it's not prohibitive, I don't think. Right. Oh, that's a good theory. I think you've yeah. sold me on that. It's a good way to look at it. Right. Um, yeah, interesting, Kenny. Interesting. We're going to take some live listener questions slash reader. You know, some of you read, some of you listen, you know, whatever. And you're going to ask questions. And I, we got some live ones coming in right now. Here. Live ones? You can listen yeah, to Matt Reed. Yes, exactly. We got a live one It's a one sensory here. experience. This is from Paul Zulak. And Paul says, do you think the NHL would ever go back to ties and do away with the three-point game with which embellishes the standings? Uh, I don't think so because I think Gary Bettman loves that three-point game. I think he loves that parody. And parody has never been more prominent. And, you know, love it or hate it, the loser point, uh, I think it at least creates that illusion that every team's in it. Yep. Even though it makes it harder to pass teams because you could you sneeze and you gain a point in the standings, right? Uh, I, I think just the perception, it's considered good for the game and it makes every, every fan... Like, look at last year, you know, we had teams like Chicago and Arizona, like almost in April, were still in the playoff hunt, right? When even if they weren't really, it felt like they were yeah. because they're only a few points out in, in any given time. Uh, and to me, I think that's music to Gary Bettman's ears. Yeah. I think he's the the person that would take the most convincing. And when it's your commissioner, that I think is the strongest uh, proponent of the current system. I don't see it changing anytime soon. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I I I, I think that. I don't. I don't think there's any way they're going to go back to ties. Not a chance. They may at some point do something about the point system, which is, as we all know, is is messed up. Yeah. Um, but there is. I don't think there's ever. I don't think you're you're ever going to see a day when the NHL goes back to having tie games, it, it, whether it's by shootout or, or extended overtime or whatever. The days of the tie are done. I'm not sure how much longer they can keep going with this point system, but you're right. It creates illusions that teams are in it. And what it also creates is teams that are, you know, 
24, 24, and 10 can say we're a 500 team when yeah. actually they're 10 games under 500. <laughs> yeah. Because they've lost 10 more games than they've won. And and so I think that you're right, Matt, that does create that illusion. It's going to be a really tough sell. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, you can also have teams that say like, oh, we're on a 90-point pace. It's like, well, yeah, but you still missed the playoffs yeah, by eight yeah, points. Yeah. <laughs> what I think might happen if, if you know, the Board of Governors wishes it to be so is eventually – Maybe you go to three points for a regulation win and two points for an OT win, that sort of thing, where there is some reward other than tiebreakers in the standings for winning in regulation. And I know people say, like, oh, then records are all out of whack. It's like, well, they're already out of whack. So don't worry about it. I mean, Jacques Plante never played in an overtime or or, or, or a a shootout shootout in his life. Yeah, exactly. So they're already out of whack. Yeah, so it's like that horse has left the barn. Let's not worry about it. Yeah, just so you guys know, and I mean, I've talked to a, a lot of people, at this moment in time, there is absolutely zero appetite for any change in mm. any of this stuff. So yeah. if it happens, it's going to be a long-term thing, not a short-term thing. Fair enough. Uh, we, got a, we got a comment coming through from Reggie Arnoldson. I agree with Ken because he is smart. That's it. Mm. I feel like Reggie what? Arnoldson is a guy that Ken just made up. Yeah, it's Re- Reggie yeah. Arnoldson. Uh, Reggie, it's a Ken Burner account. Reggie, you're awesome. Thank you. After the after the couple of days I've had, yep. holy yep. cow, you are garbage with a capital G. Well, sorry. Yeah. Or your 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 yeah your stupid. apostrophe yeah your your yeah. A snowflake. Oh yeah, bring it on. I like Reggie. Reggie's yeah. my man. Thanks, We're just gonna Reggie. go back to our computers after this, and they're just gonna be on fire. <laughs> uh, next question is from. Incognito Cali. Incognito Cali sounds like a weird, like a superhero or something. Yeah. Sounds like a rapper, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, maybe. True. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Ken's about to rap. I get to, <laughs> I get to dive into this question really quickly yeah, 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 yeah. before he starts. Yeah. The Avalanche are currently down a goalie, a defenseman, and four forwards, <laughs> oh, no. while three of them are looking to return. Now the comments. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the Avalanche are currently down a goalie, a defenseman, and four forwards. While three of them are looking to return sooner rather than later, their captain is currently out indefinitely. Do you think they might look for a short-term replacement, maybe a pending UFA? That's a tough one because, yes, the Avalanche are emerging now as a growing contender and a team that a lot of people like to be in a, you know, a dark horse Stanley Cup favorite. They got off to a great start. Mm-hmm. Injuries cannot be more catastrophic. But I think if you look big picture, this is not the Dallas Stars. This is not a team who's like Thelma and Louise. This is it. Sign Pavelski. <laughs> Sign Corey Perry. <laughs> Going off the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the Colorado's still thinking long-term. Kale McCarr's a rookie, right? You have guys like that that are just – Martin Couch just – coming up and you got Bowen Byron you have so many good young players to build around and even guys like McKinnon and Ranton and Landeskog especially McKinnon and Ranton are just entering their prime years so if this year goes sour or if Colorado ends up having to finish you know second or third in the central rather than first because they have to weather some injuries I think it's okay because this team is just starting its long-term window of contention so I don't think you're going to see Sackick who's proven to be very patient sell out the future to get any band-aid solutions that's my theory at least. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. I think Colorado's already in a good position. I think this is an organization that knows they don't have to come in first to have playoff success. Landeskog will be back eventually. And, you know, if you're going to be glass half full, maybe this time off, even though, you know, I'm sure he's rehabbing part of it. You know, it's a nice little breather in the middle of the season for a guy who, like, plays 100% every time he's out there. Hard, heavy game from Landeskog. So when he returns, maybe he's a little fresher than he would have been. And maybe that even gives you a bit of an advantage where you go into the playoffs. I mean, the Avs demonstrated last year that they have a really nice formula for playoff success. They've got some 
more experience under their belt. They got a guy in Nazem Kadri who, as long as he's not playing Boston in the playoffs, he's an effective player. And he wouldn't be playing Boston until the finals, so you would love to have that problem if you're Colorado. (laughs) Yeah, I say you just ride it. You got that great prospect pipeline coming up. Just... Hang on to it. Yeah, I'm. I'm. It just doesn't seem like it would ever be prudent to start blowing stuff up because of injuries. Not blowing up, but blowing up your your your, your organization in terms of your prospects. Yeah, and starting to sell off just to just to patch over injuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I could see if it's decline in production, or they're not playing well, or they're not playing up to expectation. But to do it for injuries, you know that. Yeah, okay, you patch it up, but what happens when those guys come back and then you've got a roster problem and then and then you're in a spot where, you know, maybe you have to send a guy down because he doesn't have to clear waivers and he's playing well and I it just causes I think more problems than it mm-hmm. than it solves. That's fair. The one thing I can say, um I do think that if you're looking at the big picture, you have to worry a little bit about Gabriel Landeskog, uh, how his game is going to age. I think this is course, his ninth yeah. year in the league, yeah. and we've talked about it on the podcast before, but in today's NHL, the brand of power forward that is just, you know, aggressive in the corners, hits hard, those guys suddenly fall off a cliff uh, just in terms of their their production because their body age, ages quicker than, I think, most types of players. Right. I think Landis Gog still has many good years left, but T to me, I think he's at risk of being a guy who all of a sudden at 31 just... It falls off a cliff production-wise, right? So you have to watch out for that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a problem yet, but if Colorado's getting down the road, I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see Landis Cog get hurt more and more. And it, I mean, that is kind of happening right now. The, the thing with Landis Cog, though, is he's such a character guy, and he mm-hmm. and he works so hard and takes care of himself, and he plays, you know, he's one of these guys, you know, plays plays the game the right way, does the right things. Good player. Uh, good player. Good second player, podcast good man, in a row. Good man, good player, good man. But, you know, I mean, he would be the kind of guy that even when that happens, he would... A, be willing to accept a lesser role, and yes. B, be effective at whatever role that is that he was accepting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Uh, next question is from Luke Diamond. And Luke asks, how long will Buffalo hang around near the top of the Atlantic? And it's a very relevant question because there's a deja vu factor, of course, where yeah. last year they flew out of the gate and then they gradually just sunk as the season progressed. Uh To me, you know, there's no way of knowing for sure because we have to remember what happened last year. I, I do feel like this year's version of the Sabres is different. Uh, obviously, a different coach and Ralph Kruger, but the defense core is just so different. They've made so many additions there. Uh, and I think that, you know, even though Alex Nylander is getting his chance in Chicago, I still think Henry Yokihari is going to go down as a steal of an acquisition as well. Uh, and just the team that's playing in front of Carter Hutton, like on defense, it's just a much stronger group. And to me, that, that means that the the play is going to be more sustainable in the long term. I'm not saying the Sabres are going to be a powerhouse. I don't think they're going to finish, like they're going to win the Atlantic. Maybe they're going to finish fourth or fifth. But I could see them, you know, being a 90-point team, being on the playoff periphery. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't shock me if they got in or if they came close. I do think the result is going to be better than last year. Yeah, I think this is the team that's going to fight for a wild card spot. Yep. And it's going to be a very good path for them to pursue you know Jack Eichel wants to get into the playoffs and experience that postseason in the NHL. You have some guys that have been there before, and and even guys like Jeff Skinner who really haven't had much playoff success, even though they've been in the league with, you know, I mean, he was with Carolina for so long, but 
you know, there's another guy that really needs to play some postseason hockey, but just being in the race right to the end, I think would really help them. And, you know, they have a lot of young players who still have potential. I mean, Rasmus Dahlin, as good as he is, he's going to be even better next season. Yep. You know, Casey Middlestat still has so much room to grow. Yeah, because and he hasn't grown enough yet. Exactly. Yeah. So if you figure just getting in games that matter, I think that makes all the difference. Absolutely. I think, you know, Absolutely. like even, what you know, I spoke to Katie, Casey Middlestat last year, and the fact that he got into some games the year prior uh, after he came out from the University of Minnesota, that gave him a look at what the grind of the NHL will be like. It gave him a little bit of a preview. Now, the 82-game schedule is still obviously a pretty hard road for him to trudge through, but he's doing it. And, you know, he needs to step up. He needs to continue to get stronger, to round out that game. Um, But there's time. And I think playing in games that matter will really help mm-hmm. that. And, I mean, this team has all the motivation in the world to take it down to the wire. And I think Ralph Kruger is the kind of coach who can guide that ship the right way. If they fall a point or two short, it's not the end of the world. It's going to be a big letdown in it Buffalo. Yeah, yeah. No doubt about that. The fans, they want to see a winner back there, especially because yeah. some of their biggest rivals have passed them. But I don't think there's any guarantees right now. I worry a little bit about the oh crap here we go again thing though. Mm-hmm. They've lost three in a row. I think they lost one nothing to the to the Islanders before they left, and then they dropped both those games in Sweden. So um, I, I worry a little bit about that. I, I don't. I'm with you guys. I don't see them being a top three team in this division under any circumstances. Almost um, Tampa's Tampa's on their way. I think. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's I only a matter of time. Tampa is grounding into form, and they're going to turn it on here. They're, and Florida's bet, Florida's, Florida had an okay October. Yeah, 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 yeah. They didn't. They're not, they're not out of it. They're not yeah. horrible. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I see them being, you know, scrapping for that seventh or eighth spot in the East and, and maybe making it, maybe not. But I think the point you make, Ryan, is, is you want these guys to be playing games that matter in March and yeah. early April. Because that that's going to develop them as much as as you know getting a high draft pick. That mm-hmm. that's totally. just as important for sure. I've got time for a couple more. Uh, this one is from Anthony Louie. When will Minnesota get out of no man's land and commit to a rebuild? They have a lot of good players that could bring back a lot of picks and prospects. Do you think they should clean house and retool for when Kaprizov finally arrives there in two years? Well, it, it's tough because it's it's. Tough to evaluate Bill Guerin yet, and I was wondering about Jared Spurgeon being a potential piece to dangle at the trade deadline, and that could that could have, in my opinion, really kickstarted a, re- a rebuild because you could have gotten a first-round pick and a prospect, but obviously they didn't go that route with Jared Spurgeon. So that kind of confused me. I was like, okay, they brought in the new guy, but he's, he's keeping part of the old guard around. Uh, but the good news is, I think, for Minnesota is that I think that Guerin's hand is going to be forced because finally the team is just bad enough. It's no longer even in no man's land. It's sinking below that level, which mm-hmm. is a good thing. Uh, it's you know they're, I think they're last place in the central, the last I checked, or at least close to last place. I think they are last place in the central. I can't so, think of anybody that's worse. <laughs> yeah, and that's what you want to see because then it's at that point it's like, well, you may as well shop your expiring guys or anyone who's close to expiring because you you know you're not near the playoffs. So that could force them down that road. Uh, but it's interesting that, you know, so far we have, it's early, right? We're not going to really know what Bill Guerin's vision is until we get to those junctures like the trade deadline and the draft, etc. Yeah, I think, I mean, the best thing that Minnesota can do is 
get that number one pick overall, or even just a top three or four pick, you get Alexi Lafreniere or Quinton Byfield, you know, or one of the Terror Twins, Lucas Raymond and Alex Holtz out of Sweden. The best case scenario, because I, I just I don't think you can get rid of those big contracts. Like you right. can't get rid of the Parise deal. You can't get rid of Suter. Well, you, you don't know. want to get rid of Suter. I don't you don't think. want to either yeah. because you and even Parise, like they're great guys to have on your team. Um, they take up a lot of cap room and their contracts go on forever. That is a problem. But if you start getting some really high end kids into your lineup, then you've got the perfect guys to shepherd them along. Well, this yeah, is a process. Yeah, where are they though, Ryan? Where well, are those well, high-end kids? I know Capper's off and and I get all that, but yeah. like this I'm not so sure that the Minnesota Wild has been let down by declining veterans as much as it's been let down by just not Developing good young talent like Joel Erickson yeah. and Luke, yeah, Luke Cunningham, like we expected Cunnan. them yeah. to be a lot further I, I, I along. I expected yeah. more from guys like Luke Cunningham. I expected more from Joel Erickson. I expected more from some of these younger guys yeah. that they've brought in, and these guys haven't really delivered the goods. It's very and, true. And and so not only does that a set you back because you don't have the talent. Yeah. It it also doesn't create a situation where anybody's pushing anybody. Yeah. You know, you gotta you've always gotta have that guy that you're looking over your shoulder at, you know? And and I think that's part of the problem. It certainly is. And when I talk about high-end young guys, I think a lot of them haven't been drafted yet. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I think Matthew Boldy is a good one. Yep. Kaprizov's coming soon. We'll sure, see what sure. he can do. Um, but that's why I'm saying, like, Lafreniere, Byfield, Holzer, Raymond, like, those are the guys that will jump straight onto your roster next year. Mm-hmm. Any one of those four, I think, could probably do it. Lafreniere and Byfield, for sure. So if you get one of those, I think, you know, Matthew Boldy is another name, but I would see him doing at least two years at Boston College. Yeah. And then maybe he considers coming out. We'll see what the progress is. I mean, right. he's only a freshman. And I he think had to grow played. a lot, right? Like, yeah. he had to thicken out a lot? Yeah, Matthew particularly, Boldy. like, lower body. Yeah, I mean, he can get more explosive, and then that comes with lower body strength. And, and that's why you go to college. You get into that great weight room, yeah. you know, three, four, yeah. five times a week. You only have the games on the weekends. So I, I want at least two years from Matthew Boldy. And then he comes out as a player that can make an impact relatively soon. So, yeah. I mean, the sort of long answer here is it's going to be at least like three years before Minnesota can get into no man's land. And that's if a couple of things go really right. Yeah, and I'd, I'd also so- throw Jordan Greenway into that debate as well of, yeah. of guys that you kind of thought, but but Jordan Greenway is not a he's not a fleet of foot guy to start with. Yeah, he, he's yeah. not as high of a ceiling guy. He's yeah. a guy who who at least his game can play on any line because of his yeah. size, yeah. right? Yeah. So like yeah. I think there's in a way less pressure on him to ascend as high in the lineup, if that right. makes sense. Right. Yeah. Uh, we'll take one more question. It's from Dwayne Ham. Uh, Dwayne asks Martin, Marty Netchish. Did I finally say his name right? Netchish. Woo. Netchish. Uh, I think I said it right this time. Uh, is creeping up the rookie of the year chart under the radar of many. What are his chances? Also, do you see? Carolina acquiring the top six forward we need that may send us to the finals. Thanks. Uh, it's interesting. So, so Netjes, I think you know, got gained really valuable experience, obviously with uh, the best team in the AHL last year uh, as a playmaker. And Carolina kind of slow cooked him, and I think he's arrived more of a fully formed product. And I don't think it's a huge surprise that he's starting to gain momentum. To me, the question is, you know, is 
even if he shows a lot of improvement as a rookie, is just a more dynamic rookie going to outdo him? I think that's probably going to be the case. We've talked about Kale McCarr, uh, and Quinn Hughes is really starting to find it as well, and I think oh, he's really boy. changed the personality of, mm. of Vancouver. And yeah. it's been, and then of course there's Jack as well. But I think Quinn to me has don't been the more. Don't sleep on Jack. Don't. Yeah, don't yeah. It sounds. Cra- isn't it crazy though? In don't November, we're saying don't yeah. sleep on Jack Hughes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that Netjes still has some pretty significant competition, but he's been a great story. Uh, and then as for the trade element, uh, I, I, I think Carolina's in it, and they still, even after trading Justin Falk because they got Edmonton back, they still have that surplus on defense. So they still have an area of surplus to trade from. Like I always reference a guy like Jake Bean, someone like that that they can dangle as part of a deal if they're chasing it. And I think they will. I think this is a year where you should, you could see Don Waddell get get uh, aggressive, feisty. feisty at the trade deadline. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I think Carolina is in a good position right now. They have a pretty deep system. They've been a very good drafting team. Um, as for Neshish and the Calder, when it comes to forwards and the Calder, it pretty much comes down to points. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's really a, a personality thing or a, a style thing. If you've got the points, then it's all yours. The, the deciding factor this year is because you've got some pretty dynamic defensemen in McCarr and Quinn Hughes, um, it might not come down to raw points but it, you have to make that sort of you know calculus of okay well you know Makar had 50 points how does that stack up against you know Jack Hughes having 65 and you, you look at their ice time and their impact on their team and things like that so that that's what makes it an interesting race but I don't think you know Netish will be at any disadvantage uh, if he can get the numbers yeah I think I think that if Kale Makar continues to play the way he's played in the first quarter of the season, he's going to win. Mm-hmm. He's going to win, regardless of what anyone else does, unless Quinn Hughes just goes bonkers. Right. And and I, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. I think there will be a fatigue factor there at some point. Uh, he's already been injured, you know, once, and you know, you know, you can't obviously can't can't account for that. But but uh, I, I think I think. I think the Calder Trophy is, was, and continues to be Kale McCars to lose. Yeah. Uh, and so even if he, you know, if he plays the way he's played now, which has been great, um, he's going to win. Um, with respect to the rest of uh, the the question, with respect to Dwayne what, Dwayne Ham's question, whether they whether they go whether they go for it here or not. Yeah, I mean they've got a good system. They won the Calder Cup last year. Um, they've got some things they can they can dangle for, say a Taylor Hall. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the name that I thought. Yeah. Of. As I was talking, yeah. I was like, oh, I should have mentioned Taylor about, Hall. Uh, if we're talking about Minnesota, what about bringing repatriating uh, Eric Stahl? Oh, that'd be kind of fun as a depth Ooh. as a depth. Center. Eric and Jordan. Yeah, that would be the first time they've ever. No, no, they played together. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. They played together because they even brought Jared up for a game. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. What of they course. That? that would be kind of fun, wouldn't it? That'd be fun. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, yeah. interesting. All right. Maybe not. I don't Maybe know. Well, I don't think. I, I don't see, know. I, I think if, if you're As Carolina, yeah, you're big game fit. hunting. If you're Don Waddell, like, I think Carolina's reaching the juncture now where yeah, you're. Yeah, but big need, game, big game. You talk about that, but at the trade deadline, it's always that under the radar trade that ends up being yeah. the big difference. The Michael Hanses. Right. The yeah. Michael Kempneys. The, yeah. Yeah, those you're guys. Right. Yeah, you know? it's true. It does happen. You're right. It's a fair point. Well, that is it for the podcast this week, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to our sponsor, Christian Hockey. And also, Ryan, on Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern, live stream. The Prospect Podcast. Get those questions in. Thanks for listening and watching.